What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And hello, everybody, and good Thursday afternoon. I am Brian Sullivan. Your money on the move higher again as COVID cases continue to fall fast. And Mitt Romney comes out with a big stimulus surprise. Inside the Reddit Rebellion, the story of a 24-year-old who turned 500 bucks into $203,000, albeit briefly. And don't believe the hype. Not all environmentally or socially conscious investing is the same. We'll tell you why and show you some names. Plus, the very latest on how the vaccine rollout is really going. But before we get to all of that, let's get more now on these markets and your money with the Dow up with a two-handle. Seema Modi joining us now with all the numbers and the stories behind them. Seema. Hey, Brian, take a look at the board right here. We are near session highs, a day where value is outperforming growth. Financials, energy leading the pack right now uh, on the back of those higher bond deals that we are seeing. Let's also take a look at earnings. Two stocks in the payment and e-commerce space trading at record highs. We are, of course, talking about PayPal and eBay, both delivering a beat on profits uh, helped by the surge that they are seeing in online shopping. Qualcomm, though, that stock on pace for its biggest percentage has dropped since March of last year when we saw that big market move. Stock currently down 9% on the back of worse-than-expected earnings. Uh, Speaking of big drops, take a look at GameStop. It is extending its decline, now trading below $64 a share. It has now fallen about 86% from the all-time high it hit back on January 29th of 4.83 a share as this Reddit rally, uh, certainly losing a lot of investors here. Brian, back to you. Yeah, I mean, it's still above SEMA, where I think 17 or so was the level of GME before sort of all the mania kicked in. So there are people, theoretically, who've still made money. But overall, it has been an incredibly painful run for the holders off the top. Absolutely. And I think important to note, it's not just GameStop that this move is confined to. There are other names like AMC, Cost, among others that are also facing similar pressure here. Yet when you look at Reddit, the messaging platform, that bull versus bear debate, it certainly continues. Yeah, we're going to talk about it more with Greg Zuckerman in just a few minutes. Seema Modi, thank you very much. But before we do that, let's talk about this. For over a year, the market's theme song probably could have been Bon Jovi's living on a prayer, because with pandemics and lockdowns, companies simply had no idea what to expect from their business, and investors had no idea what to expect from earnings. But it seems like many things, we might be turning a corner, and that could be changing. As vaccines roll out at more than a million a day, maybe there's a little light at the end of the tunnel, and companies are starting to maybe give some guidance again. In other words, that earnings clarity may be coming back as we hit the halfway mark, and maybe overall, by the way, with the American economy. Joining us now is Andy Capron, Director of Research for Regent Atlantic, and Margie Patel, Senior Portfolio Manager and Managing Director at Wells Fargo Asset Management. Margie, start with you. Do you feel like companies are fine, because I know you track them so closely, are finally mm-hmm. starting to have some visibility into what the next 
if not six months, maybe 12 to 18 months might look like. Yes, uh, and we're seeing fourth quarter earnings doing the same as third quarters, basically surprising on the upside. Uh, corporate earnings have really powered back. Management looks pretty optimistic about the course of the next year. And in a lot of those earnings disappointments that we've seen, often it's been due short-term uh, glitches in supply chain. They don't have the parts, they don't have the shipment, and that really hurt earnings in the quarter. But basically, it looks like more of the same. And an astounding market uh, looks as if the economy is almost back to where we were before we had the whole COVID crisis a year ago. Pretty remarkable. Yeah, it really is. I just saw a stat just across the wires, Andy, that bankruptcies actually continue to decline, which is great news, by the way. And it signals that the the American might be sort of firming up their balance sheets, especially for those and those businesses that have just been absolutely obliterated in all of this. Are you, if not happy with what you're seeing, Andy? Do you feel like companies are giving you enough information and guidance to be able to make some kind of informed investment decision. Yes, yeah, so earnings season so far has has turned out to be mostly a, a a lot of very positive news. And the most positive news is we're clearing out of the fog of war. Um, last year was an absolute fog with many companies withdrawing any guidance whatsoever, saying they can't call this. Um, now coming out with actually, well, first of all, guidance at all. Second of all, fairly positive numbers. Uh, I think one of the most positive developments over the course of this earnings cycle has been the financials. Um, re- really seeing a very upbeat set of numbers from them, in particular on investment banking and on trading revenues. Um, but there might be more surprises still. Um, over, over, the, over the course of the past few weeks, we've seen a steepening in the yield curve. That's really going to help improve net interest margin. That's why you're recommending, recommending J.P. Morgan Chase as well. But also, I noticed that Exxon Mobil was on your list. Yeah, juicy seven percent dividend, but they just posted their first annual loss in I think forty years. Andy, that's not scaring you off Exxon Mobil. Um, it's not scaring me off Exxon Mobil, but we have to acknowledge that oil companies are, in fact, a risky play today. Um, what we've seen is a change in how society travels, a change in gasoline consumption. But here's the thing. Um, materials in general benefit from the current reflationary environment. Energy stocks as a subsegment of, of materials haven't really caught this rally. Um, and I think investors are too reluctant to own them, even though the, oil, the, the price of oil is actually at a, at a, at a 12-month high. Oh, yeah, we've certainly noticed. And, and Margie, the other thing about coming out of this pandemic is that for the better part of a year, all of our medical and scientific focus has been on solving COVID and, and with, with good reason. But there's still a lot of other bad things out there that we have had to deal with and will continue to deal with cancer, diabetes, et cetera. Do you believe that investor attention then may soon pivot to biotechs and companies and healthcare that have been trying to solve the stuff that we've been living with for decades? Yes, I think we'll continue to see more good news from biotechs as far as new drug discoveries, new treatment for a lot of these uh, conditions that are that are so horrible that are plaguing us once we uh, COVID is, goes off stage. And also, so many of these companies have fabulous cash flow, even those that may have a patent cliff in a few years. So we think we'll see a lot of activity and a lot of value add through mergers and acquisitions, uh, in addition to uh, refining their business plans. So we like that sector very much Margie Patel, Andy Caprin, good discussion there about hopefully this return to some earnings clarity as we hopefully return to normal as the weather warms up. Thank you both very much. 
All right, well, stocks surging again today, and Goldman Sachs says the bull market is still in its early stages. You can head to cnbc.com slash pro. They have six trades on how to play it. Get those names on our pro website. Well, of course, what has captured the market's attention, though, over the past week has not necessarily been earnings or earnings clarity now, has it? It's been the Reddit rebellion, small traders, the GameStop saga. It has been one week since GameStop hit its intraday high of $483. And since then, the drama only intensified. Things are reversing a bit. GameStop, I mean, it had hit as high as, I think, 500 in the pre-market. It is certainly down from that, though still up. The Reddit rebellion is where we're going to start this morning. GameStop resuming its rally, now up 73-plus percent. GameStop got as low as $212. It's up above that right now, but it's a long way from 325 where it closed on Friday. But it is not all sunshine on the street of dreams. There is a lot of pain in the Robinhood trade right now. GameStop's run stopped. Shares are down more than 100 bucks right now, nearly 48%. It's a $117 stock. It was an over $400 stock just three trading days ago. Is that really how I sound? Oof. All right, but who really are some of these day traders? They use the terms like just trying to turn some stimmy into tendies. Translation, I think. Let's put our stimulus checks into stocks and try to make some money. I hope I got that right. Well, the Wall Street Journal's Greg Zuckerman dug in a little more, as only he can. He is with us now, and he's, by the way, also the author of The Man Who Solved the Market, about probably the exact opposite of the Redditors and one of the biggest hedge funds in the world joining us now is Greg. Greg, uh, you uncovered a guy, a gentleman, 24-year-old MIT grad. He turned $500 into more than... 200,000? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Um, he did it through options, as uh, one can. It's a leveraged bet. He also got the timing perfectly right. I mean, he got out last Wednesday. So he admits, he acknowledges it's mostly luck. And what I kind of found fascinating is, yeah, he made $200,000 in a few weeks. And this is a guy making got $36,000 a year stipend a grad student but he it was about the money but it was also about the community and the rush he got just by being with others and taking on wall street and i think that's as much of an attraction for some of these redditors as it is just making the money what, did he make the money or did he lose it? is he still in the stock or the options position or did he actually cash out and cash in well he got out and you got to give him credit credit, but most of why he got out is his friends had a mini intervention. So here he was on the board hearing that it was going to go to a thousand. It was going to go to 5,000 and he was kind of bullish and he acknowledges it went from sort of an intelligent trade. He believed in the company's turnaround to one where it was just sort of gambling, but he couldn't get out. He couldn't bring himself to get out. It was all I could think about. And he was playing tennis with his friends and he was literally checking his phone after every point. He couldn't bear to be torn away from the market. And then his friends kind of said, you know, dude, you, you need the money. You should be getting out. And they kind of convinced him. They said, hey, would you put new fresh money in at these levels? He said no. And he kind of realized, I got to get out. I $500 into 203,000, I think it was a 40,000% gain. That, not Ackman, that guy, the greatest trade 
of all time. It wasn't Jim Paulson. It wasn't Ackman. It was that guy that you found. I don't know how you found him, but that's what you do best, Greg Zuckerman. Is there any correlation between, because this was always like about, let's get the hedge funds, right? Let's take down the hedge funds. So first off, looking at the trade size in GameStop the last few days, there are some big players in GameStop, big hedge funds doing huge block trades. I just want to throw that out there. Do you feel like there is any similarity at all between the worlds or is this literally, let's go get them? I mean, to the extent that um, the Redditors are sharing ideas, it's not unlike the idea dinners that we're all aware of where hedge funds get together and they give ideas to each other. And to the extent that um, a small investor is sharing and thoughts and, and maybe their research. I think that's all really great stuff, but you do start getting worried when you start hearing people saying, hold on, don't sell. It's almost like a moral obligation. We're in this together and you almost feel, and I know my investor that I talked about, he felt bad that he was getting out. He's letting down the community, which isn't really the proper way to be investing. That's quite emotional. You want to be taking the emotions out of it. And when your people are urging you on and saying it's about more than making money, but it's about sending a message to Wall Street yeah. when it's not clear what that message is. I mean, Citadel is one, peop- one of the firms that these people are really angry at. And yet Citadel is probably doing among the best from all the trading, the Citadel's trading side. So it's not clear what the message they're trying to send is. Well, I listen, I get I get the idea and I like it, except that, you know, when you sell, there has to be a buyer. So if you're leaving the, quote, community, somebody new might be coming in. Also, the gentleman you've previewed, you know, he now has 200,000 that he might be able to put into the market as opposed to 500 and help out the community in a bigger way. I don't I'm not sure. And by the way, he's clearly not the only one given GameStop's price action that has sort of left that trade. Uh, what's your final take? Greg, you've been studying stock markets for so long. Is there a is there a takeaway? The silver squeeze sort of went, went on for a day. Do you think there is a bigger, longer term impact from this on the macro markets? Or will it be a, a single stock or single trade type story? That's really the great question that we're all struggling with. Um, Is it different this time? And part of me wonders because we're in an age when there's easy money, be it for stimulus from the checks or stimulus from the Fed, and that's not going away. And you look at certain investments, be it Bitcoin, be it Tesla, and now you're seeing some of these investments where maybe in short term or maybe even a longer term period, the uh, prices aren't necessarily in keeping with traditional metrics. And maybe um, we're going to be in this era when we have easy money continuing where here and there you're going to have pockets of the market where people scratch their heads and throw up their hands. So one wonders if we're in that kind of era. Yeah. And, uh, you know, listen, I don't know if there's any correlation, but but you and I were doing this, I think, in 1999. Go back and look at, there was Yahoo message boards. Go back and look at some of the covers of Fortune. Maybe I'll put one or two of them up on my Twitter feed as well. I'm not saying it's the same as 99 because that ended poorly, but there is a feeling of community and newness to it that we kind of felt like in, in 1999, or at least I did. Greg Zuckerman, great stuff. Great find, by the way, on the trader of the century. Congrats, Greg. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. All right, coming up, an inside look at what recruiters are really seeing in the job market. What industries are hiring? Where are the jobs? And maybe where are they not? Plus, as the popularity of so-called ESG investing has boomed, so too have some of the stocks they invest in. The names 
maybe winning and losing ahead. This is The Exchange on CNBC. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. You got a market rallying for a fourth straight day with the Dow up 258 points at the moment. You got vaccines up, case counts is down 50% in just a month for new COVID cases across America. And we've had some big blowout earnings as well. And tomorrow, it is the January jobs report. So can we expect the job market to start to take off as states and economies hopefully reopen sooner than later? Let's find out. Joining us is Evan Sony, He is chairman and CEO of Recruiter.com. And they put out their Recruiter Sentiment Index every month. Evan, we appreciate it. The index coming in at 3.6 out of 5, which is a long way off the lows of the depths of April at 2.4. But what does that number tell you? What does it tell us about the job market? Well, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, we use our community. You talked about community before. We use our community of recruiters to help us determine where's the sentiment, uh, where's the leading indicator to the job market. And we're finally at the most optimistic we've had since we started this at the beginning of COVID. You said 3.6. Now, that's out of five. So we certainly have a long way to go. Uh, the most optimistic in terms of looking forward, 73% most optimistic about 90 days. Uh, we're seeing a slight uptick from 17 jobs per recruiter that they were working on to 18 jobs. So those are the numbers that we tend to look at and really see that overgrow- uh, th- that growth that were real optimism. I think the challenges that we're seeing- Is there any- is that- Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Evan, is there any, just, just sorry to jump in, no, is there any uh, seasonality to it? In other words, do we tend to see this pop between you know November to January anyway, or is this- truly sort of a, a real improvement, even versus, you know, the pre-pandemic years, whenever those were. Yeah. So, no, it's a great point. You know, a couple months ago in November, we really predicted a huge uptick. And we saw that from the recruiters in logistics jobs, transportation jobs. And there were 144,000 of those added in November. We saw the December numbers go down because that seasonality of retail just wasn't there. So we're certainly starting to see that pick up. Uh, January is often a slower month for recruiting in terms of specialized jobs. But what we're not seeing, last month we saw uh, uh, one of the top uh, four industries, uh, one of the top three industries was actually manufacturing at around 67% optimism. That dove to like 25%. So really disappointing for us to see those non-specialized jobs, retail jobs, manufacturing jobs, logistics jobs, those have to come back 
for the job market to really recover at the pre-pandemic rates. Are they? You know, we, we could only hope. You know, we, we, uh, we saw healthcare now hit 80% this month. Last month, it wasn't even in the top, top three, which was surprising. But, you know, when you start to hear complaints from the states about lack of available, uh, available of resources for vaccine distribution, we said, gee, you're not hiring the people. You know, when you do a census, the government hires people to yeah. help with the census. Yeah. We didn't see that last month. We're finally seeing those numbers move up now. Evan, do you remember uh, the commercials? I've fallen and I can't get up. Do you remember those commercials? <laughs> right? Sure. I, want, I wonder if there's a part of this based on what I'm looking at from your data, which is I've moved and I can't go back. In other words, how much is remote work maybe permanently going to matter? Because somebody says, oh, I like your job. You know what? I used to live in New Jersey. Now I live in Wisconsin. How much is that going to factor into all this? You know, when you saw that statistic, that remote working uh, was 36% of workers prioritized remote work to 31% compensation. That's an incredible statistic. You know, that's something that we used to call quality of life now too long ago is really looking at remote work. But, but I'll tell you something. I think part of the challenge we're seeing is that the companies have shifted to remote, right? The companies themselves are, are recruiting remotely. They've moved over to online services. Yet the workers themselves, for those to be really effective, they have to be on premise. Right. So how do you do that? You know, the days of walking into a factory and seeing 30 people sitting in the lobby filling out a job application with a clipboard, and we've all seen that, that just doesn't exist anymore. And we have to have this paradigm shift that allows those jobs to yeah. uh, to turn. 36% remote work. By the way, the biggest slice, even overpay. Of course, if you move to Wisconsin from New Jersey, you effectively get a big <laughs> raise. Evan Sohn with Recruiter.com. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Thanks for having us. All right. Coming up, 23andMe, you and you and all of Wall Street, the company going public via a SPAC, of course. We'll dive more into it. And as the Reddit-fueled rally sent shares of costs higher, the insiders, they were doing something some people might not like, selling a lot. We'll talk more about that. Dow up 264, Bitcoin up 400. We're back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, it's time for the data bank. Let's get a check on these markets and your money because we are up in the markets four days in a row. The Dow is up 264, just off its high. Above 301, again, we're seeing the NASDAQ outperform up nearly 1%. In the sectors, you got banks, industrials, information technology really are the leaders. The materials really the only sector in the red right now, and that is not by much. In other words, it's a fairly broad-based run that we've had the last couple of days. Let's get a couple of the big money individual single stock stories. Number one, Align Technology, the maker of the Invisalign dental braces, Heading an all-time high following a beat on both the top 
and the bottom lines. Fourth quarter sales jumping 28% from a year ago. By the way, a line up 143% in the past 12 months. Stock number two, department store Nordstrom. Now, the stock was halted earlier, then jumped as much as 4%, then fell 7%, now down just over 5% on JWN. Struggling retailer revealing its new growth agenda, focusing on Rack, Nordstrom Rack, small format stores and e-commerce. Nordstrom seeing revenue rising 25% this year, slightly less than previously thought. And stock number three is Merck. Ken Frazier announcing that he will step down as CEO and transition to the role of executive chairman effective June 30th. Frazier joined Merck all the way back in 1992. He's been CEO for a decade, stock up 135% during his tenure. CFO Robert Davis will take over the CEO role at Merck. All right, let's step out of the world of money and business and get a CNBC News update with Sue Herrera. Sue. Good to see you, Brian. Thanks very much. Here's what's happening at this hour, everybody. Another voting company has filed a massive libel suit over allegations of election fraud. Smartmatic wants $2.7 billion in damages from Fox News, Fox hosts Lou Dobbs, Maria Bartiromo, and Janine Pirro, as well as Trump lawyers Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying it is very concerning that Republicans have not taken action against Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, forcing Democrats to require a vote on removing her from two committees. Today, the House will vote to remove Representative Greene from her seat on education and labor and the budget committees. It's just so unfortunate. You would think that the Republican leadership in the Congress would have some sense of responsibility to this institution. Impeachment managers are requesting former President Trump testify under oath either before or during his impeachment trial. They say Trump has denied, quote, incontrovertible facts. You are up to date. That is the news update. Brian, I will send it back to you. All right, Sue. Thank you very much. All right, now to a little good news on the vaccine front. And while we still have a long way to go, things are undoubtedly getting better as the rollouts ramp up in the states. As of last night, just under 56 million doses have been distributed around America. 27 million Americans have received at least one shot, just about 11% of the adult population. And over 6 million of those have gotten the full two-shot regimen. This puts us at an average pace of about 1.35 million shots in arms per day, or about one and a half to two percent of the U.S. adult population being inoculated every five days. And of course, if J&J, AstraZeneca, or and Novavax are approved, that would speed this all up tremendously. We're going to try to keep you up to date on this each day. It's an incredibly important story. Follow me on Twitter as well for updates at SullyCNBC. All right. Coming up on The Exchange, why one analyst says it may be game over for at least one stay-at-home stock market darling, how the goose is running loose, and Elon can't stop, won't stop. All that and more on Rapid Fire. Stick around. Welcome back to The Exchange. We've got shares of Netflix that are moving higher right now. Let's get to Julia Borston for more on why. Why, Julia? 
Well, those Netflix shares now up about 3%, and that's all the news that Netflix is raising its prices in Japan, specifically raising prices on its basic and standard plan. The premium prices uh, for the premium option are going to stay, stay the same. And the price increases are of up to 13%, so the basic plan going from 880 yen to 990 yen. Brian, back over to you. All right, Julia Borston. Julia, thank you very much. All right, 23 and all of Wall Street. Canada Goose running loose and is a big video game maker losing its juice. It is time now for Rapid Fire. Here to join us, Seema Modi, Josh Lipton, and Courtney Reagan. Welcome, everybody. Looking forward to this Rapid Fire. Let's get it underway. Topic one, genetic testing firm 23andMe is going public. It is, of course, through a SPAC, Natch, all part of a $3.5 billion merger with Sir Richard Branson's firm, VG Acquisition. The merged companies will trade on the NYSE under the ticker ME, M-E. The DNA testing market has slowed down a bit, but 23andMe has pivoted to therapeutics with more than 30 programs in process. The CEO telling us this is a big opportunity. COVID has taught us the, the importance of prevention. And what the human genome gives you is this information about what your risks are. And now what we're going to be able to do is give you more and more of those tools. How do you help keep our keep our customers healthier? All right, Josh Lipton, Therapeutics, 23andMe, and the SPAC tie it all together. Yeah, so here's a question, Brian. What do Shaq, Wilbur Ross, and Bill Ackman all have in common? They are all looking to apparently strike deals to their SPACs. I think that is one reason uh, my buddy Jim Cramer was saying today on CNBC, Jim saying he understands the trends, understands the themes, that maybe this is starting to feel a little bit like fantasy football to him. And another question is you clearly, listen, you clearly have demand from Shaquille O'Neal to, to Wilbur Ross, but you do have to wonder about supply. Are there enough good companies to meet that demand, Brian? I thought the answer to that question was, Seema was going to be, they're all really rich. Because you need big names in these SPACs for them to succeed. They certainly do. And you've got Richard Branson. You can add that name to the list. And I think the real opportunity seems to be in all of the genome data that 23andMe has been able to collect over the last five to ten years. Data it can now use to study uh, and develop potential therapeutics. You were just saying it has about 30 therapeutic programs currently in progress. And when you look at biotechnology, the industry, some of the hottest buzzwords right now are gene editing, which you have CRISPR therapeutics playing a big role there, uh, mRNA when it comes to this COVID vaccine. So maybe there's a role for 23andMe to to play there in gene therapy and and editing in general. Yeah, but but Courtney, the point is that that all of these SPACs, all of these SPACs have a big name. That's the sponsor, whether it's Chamath Polyhapatia, Richard Branson, every SPAC has got like their star. It's like you put Brad Pitt in a movie and it'll probably do pretty well. These SPACs without big names, I'd love to see some comparison between the ones with names and the ones with not. Who cares what their business is? I'd like to see how much that affects it. But isn't that kind of the point, right? If it's a blank check company, aren't you buying into the name that's behind it? I mean, that's what you're buying, right? If you don't exactly know how this 
portfolio in the end is going to shake out. I don't know if it works as well if it's not a well-known name. And I was going to pick up on, on Seema's point about all of the data that's been able to be collected on the genome. And yes, they have collected a lot of it. But I also think, of course, we haven't even mentioned the word privacy yet in any of this. And I know they're going to anonymize the data as they try to develop these therapeutics, which is important. But I think as more of us understand a little bit more of what goes on to this, there is some more reluctance. I know when I thought about doing some of this, I actually did the ancestry instead of 23andMe. Part of it was I wasn't sure if I wanted my data a part of the subset. I also didn't know if I wanted to know what I had a possible genetic propensity towards. Maybe it's just better if I don't. So you have to continue to have users submit that information to make this valuable. Yeah, that's a great that is a great point. A lot of privacy concerns around it as well. What's in a name? I think Bill Shakespeare got it right because the names matter. Oh, by the way, and those big sponsor fees on some of these SPACs. All right, Courtney, sit tight. I'm coming right back to you. Canada Goose, the retailer noted for its rather pricey parkas, is flying high after beating top and bottom lines and estimates for the fourth quarter. Shales are soaring. Demand in China remains red hot. Of course, no surprise. Online sales are up. Courtney Reagan, apparently there's a giant market for $900 jackets. I mean, these things continue to be on fire. They have not shown to be a fad. I sort of thought they might have been when we first saw these uh, parkas really heating up in the market. China was really, really important to Canada Goose, as it was to a number of other high-end players uh, during this last quarter. And even before that, as China got hit with COVID-19 first and then started recovering first, online, though, really important. But they also saw some nice demand um, in the stores. They actually doubled the number of stores that they had previously over there in China. I think it's pretty amazing that overall revenues grew almost 5% when we're still living in a pandemic world. Um, The company really leaning online, Brian, you talked about 39% revenues, but wholesale actually wasn't so bad either, or the direct to consumer when you're talking about the stores. So this is a a pretty amazing story we should continue to follow as they look into launching things like shoes uh, going forward. I don't know if the demand will be as hot for those, but I wouldn't count them out, seeing as what they've been able to do with this very, very pricey coat. Yeah, it's been a heck of a run, Sima Modi. I don't know. I'd love to know what the Canada Goose shoe is going to look like as well. But what is your take? 93% gain in six months for this stock. We talk about 30 million, 25 million unemployed. For those of us that are blessed and lucky enough to have a job, a lot of people saving money and spending on big ticket items. Great point. Tremendous. But then when you think about outdoor dining in New York City at 28 degrees, perhaps that just underscores the reason why so many more consumers need that big jacket. And when it pertains to China, I know Courtney and I have had this conversation on the sidelines just about their strategy that they've used. They've really doubled down on their retail footprint <clears throat> across the mainland, even during the course of the pandemic. While other companies sort of held off on expansion, they doubled down. And that seems to be really paying off to get that level of brand recognition with the Chinese consumer which we know is so important. I like it. The outdoor dining play, especially in New York City, seem a good point. All right, topic number three, it's in the game, but it maybe shouldn't be in your portfolio. Atlantic Equity slicing its rating on electronic arts to a neutral. They don't hate the stock. They just want to see more movement in mobile. Josh Lipton, is that on the horizon for EA? So EA, I'm glad you brought this one up, Brian. That is a really interesting name to talk about because um, it has actually lagged 
its peers, whether you pull back the chart to three months or 12 months, I think if you talk to analysts who cover that name, what they'll tell you is there's been some kind of a consistent concern among some investors about whether EA can really consistently grow outside its bread and butter sports franchises like FIFA. So some guys have moved to the sideline. I will give you the bull case, though. I checked in with MKM's Eric Handler. Uh, Eric covers this name, covers the space. He is still recommending it. He has a buy on it. And I asked him why, and he says he does see some catalysts ahead. And one part he talked about was Apex Legends. Remember, that's EA's answer to Fortnite. It is broadening its reach to Nintendo Switch. Mobile versions coming, too. Maybe that expands the user player base, Brian. Yeah, it's it's been that way, and certainly the video game trade. I guess I guess it goes, Cordy, to a broader, the stay at home, the work from home. I mean, there's not a lot to do. A lot of kids in this remote learning, uh, your class days are maybe an hour or two long over Zoom, and and activity is going to pop either way. Is there a broader story here? You think about the stay at home, work from home, starting to roll over. It seems pretty, I don't know, it seems pretty clear to me that there's some white space here. If you come out with some new and exciting games, like the college football game that uh, they at least confirmed to ESPN that they are going to roll out after some rumors. I mean, the kids got extra time on their hands. You can't go anywhere. It's pretty cold outside in a lot of the country with snow on the ground. So it looks like there could be some opportunity here for EA and for others, though. I mean, it's not, not just a single company game, as Josh has pointed out, with the shares lagging behind some competitors for some time. All right, topic number four, Twitter and some other cryptocurrencies apparently are hanging on one Mr. Elon Musk's every word. The price of the volatile Dogecoin shot as high as 50% after Musk treated just one word, Doge. It was followed by two more tweets, including Dogecoin is the people's crypto and no highs, no lows, only Doge. It marked Musk's return to Twitter after a self-imposed Two-day hiatus, that's a separate issue. Meanwhile, Dogecoin is hot today, but could it be gone tomorrow? Seema Modi, your take on the, the coin, the crypto, named after a meme of a Shina Ibu dog. Pretty incredible how it went from an internet meme uh, that was made during the 2013 crypto frenzy now to the 12th largest cryptocurrency with a market cap of $6.1 billion, Brian. Uh, I think it really followed a similar strategy to the AMC and, and GameStop. It generated a lot of excitement and interest on Reddit, the platform there. That invited the likes of Elon Musk, who has 45 million Twitter followers, to join the conversation. And there you go. It's up 600 percent over the past week. But if it follows a similar uh, the similar footsteps to GameStop, you would think that at some point this has to fizzle out. Obviously, this is just a random crypto coin. Uh, it doesn't have the type of algorithm that, block, that uh, Bitcoin uses. Dogecoin. Look at that chart. You know what? Real or fake? It's real money. People have been making on it, certainly. That is it for Rapid Fire. Seema Modi, Josh Lipton, Courtney Reagan, and wherever that Sheena Ibu dog is. Thank you all very much. All right. (laughs) Still ahead, Koss Corp. Down big today and even bigger for the week, off more than 50%. But Reddit traders were not the only ones making money when they targeted the short sellers and the stock last week. We'll tell you who also cashed out to the tune of dozens of millions of dollars. And by the way, if you are getting out, you can watch us live anywhere on the go on the CNBC app at The Exchange. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Redditors not just targeting GameStop and BlackBerry, 
They also came hard after Koss, the headphone maker. It had a huge percent of its stock bet short, and as costs ran up, others ran out. Robert Frank joining us now with more on this story. The insiders selling, Robert. That's right, Brian. New filings from the SEC show that executives and directors of Coscorp sold $44 million in stock early this week while it was getting swept up in all those Reddit trades. The Cost family sold $31 million in stock. That was more than the entire market cap of this Milwaukee-based headphone maker before its shares went from $3 to $64 as it became a favorite of that retail trading crowd. Now, it looks like the family sold over about a two- or three-day period when prices were between $19 and $60 a share. At least that's what they sold for. Now, among the sellers was the CEO and chairman of the company, Michael Koss. His father founded the company, and the family owns 75% of Koss Corp. Now, other directors and executives sold an additional $13 million. Koss had short interest above 35% with a low dollar share price. That's what made it a favorite among the traders. Now, it's unclear whether the sales were part of a prearranged trading plan. A company spokesperson declined to comment when reached by CNBC. Brian? Well, that's the key. Okay, and before everybody gets all, you know, up in arms with the pitchforks and the tar and the feathers, a lot of these insiders, and I don't know if it's this case or not, but it happened actually, by the way, I think it was the, the Pfizer CEO a few months ago on the vaccine news. It was like he sold into the news. It's automatically triggered at a certain price, right? So a lot of these folks, they they don't even know. The stock hits it, it sells, they get a notification. We don't know if that's the case, but that does happen a lot. Well, Brian, if you look at the pattern of sales, usually these pre-arranged sales are sort of one slug at a certain price on one day. These sales don't look like they were part of a prearranged sales program in that they were at various prices on the same one or two day period, multiple sales. So you're right. We don't know. We also don't know what the family plans to do with this money. Maybe they plan to take this thirty one million dollars. They own seventy five percent of the company and take it private or reinvest in the company. And they may think it's a great company. It's just not worth one hundred and fifty million dollars or two hundred million dollar market cap that the investors put on it. So you're right, we shouldn't villainize them, but you don't want a situation where the retail investor is buying and the insiders are selling at this scale. That's, that doesn't instill confidence in the company or the democratization of a stock market, which is what we want to happen. Yeah, that's true. And I, hopefully they'll come out and say, yeah, we, it was automatic, we'd even know, yeah. or yeah, we sold, we made some money, and maybe somebody will actually just say, you know what, the stock has stunk, I made a lot of money. We sold some and because I'm going to have a big tax bill coming. Who knows? Robert Frank, interesting story nonetheless on costs. Thank you very much, my friend. All right. So when you think of environmentally or socially conscious investing, you probably think about things like solar panels and biofuels and Teslas. What about generators and semiconductors? I'll tell you why you should next. It's no secret that ESG, environmental social governance, investing has picked up speed and is getting even more attention with the new Biden administration. Two years ago, investors bought $13 billion into ESG funds, but last year, 
That number soared to $85 billion. For more now on what exactly ESG investors are buying and selling and maybe what they're missing, we're joined now by Eugene Clark, Global Head of ESG Research at Credit Suisse. Uh, Eugene, thank you very much for coming on the program. We know the name, Tesla, solar, any solar companies, those are obvious ESG plays. Are there under-the-radar companies that are actually ESG and we're not aware of it? Good evening, Brian. Well, actually, uh, to your point, uh, yes, we know solar, but actually solar and the um, renewable energy space has been um, has been underowned uh, as far as uh, our analysis is concerned by most EG investors. And we're only really seeing that change towards the end of last year when uh, solar pretty much around the world was starting to make uh, make inroads into the key holdings of, of investors. I think when it comes to under-owned areas, what we find is that um, water technology companies, uh, building energy efficiency companies, those are areas green-related that still have to make inroads into the popular, the most popular holdings. Looking at the list, there are some names that make sense. Looking at the list, there are some names that don't. You've got Cummins, the engine maker, UPS. They got a lot of trucks and even more planes. How are those ESG plays? I think there's two things to to bear in mind. One is that um, historically speaking, ESG investors pretty much had a um, exclusion approach. So they didn't want to touch anything that was remotely, um, if you like, brown uh, or dirty. And I think what we find uh, more recently is that the debate is moving toward engagement, is is trying to move companies along. Commons is an interesting story where actually the hydrogen business is starting to develop. The company is changing its business mix. And I think what investors are looking for are companies that are not necessarily today's ESG winners, but actually tomorrow's ESG winners, because uh, typically the market tends to underappreciate uh, the change. Uh, it is very well and very good in identifying mm-hmm. companies that already score good, necessarily very good at identifying who is good tomorrow. Well, that's that's a really important and interesting point. And by the way, looking at your list, some of the names also that, that are maybe sort of either future or sideways ESG, you got McCormick, the spice company, you got Lowe's and Lowe's, you've got Nike on the list as well. Let me flip it, Eugene. Are there companies that have been overbought overplayed as and they're just getting bought because they're ESG but maybe the business isn't worth now as much as the stock implies well I mean when we look at the key holdings of uh, circa 113 dedicated ESG funds that we track what is remarkable is that the key holdings are the sort of who's who in the tech space and probably the pharma space and I think some of that is due to the fact that ESG data tends to be Um, uh, readily available for larger companies, whereas smaller and medium-sized companies tend to have a tougher time generating the data that's needed for investors to analyze companies from an ESG perspective. Over time, our view is that the mega-cap tech space and the mega-cap pharma space is likely to start to lose out when data becomes more available for smaller-sized companies. So I think in terms of dynamics, what our report clearly showed was that um, over the last couple of months, particularly on some of the tech names, we've seen uh, investors cool off a bit. So you're talking names like um, Visa, MasterCard, uh, but also the likes of Texas Instruments, for example, even in Amazon to some degree. Yeah, and and we saw Generac, the generator maker, on that list as well. Eugene Clerk, Credit Suisse, really interesting stuff on ESG. Thanks very much. Take care.
Thank you. And folks, that wraps it up for another exchange. It goes quick, doesn't it? Up next on Power Lunch, the SPAC team that took DraftKings public is back. And this time, they're hoping to strike it rich with mobile gaming company Skills. The Skills CEO joins Tyler and Morgan after this quick break. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.